Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Shenmue Dojo Interviews. My guest today um, has been inspired through his life by Shenmue, resulting in a trip across Japan where he now lives and a more recent trip across China, including visiting Guilin. Not only that, Shenmue has inspired this person's career choice. He is now a video games writer at IGN Japan currently. My guest today and who I'd like to welcome is Ezra Krabe. Welcome, Ezra. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's really an honor to be on the on this podcast. And uh, I kind of started laughing when you said a more recent trip to China because that's already ten years ago. It's uh, it's weird to think how 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 fast time feels these days. It is. I mean, ten years is recent in my mind, but I swear that's because I'm getting older. <laughs> exactly. Uh, my first question is: um, Can you take me on a tour of your gaming history, consoles? moving through to the present day and any favorite games you had apart from Shenmue, of course? Uh, yes, sure. Um, so I got my first Nintendo Entertainment System at my fifth birthday, I remember, was something I had really been wanting for a long time. Before that, like I played some like old PC games like Leisure Shoot Larry with my father on the PC. It's not really the kind of game you play in your, as a four-year-old, but like those kind of games I all had, already had played. But then like the Nintendo Entertainment System was... The first real big thing for me as a gamer that's like the thing that made me a, a gamer so actually i didn't start with sega and after that uh i kind of stuck with nintendo because i got a super nintendo after that yeah and from there on uh it was nintendo 64 so i was basically a nintendo kid all the way until dreamcast came out and actually i was gonna get a playstation 2 yeah because it was gonna <laughs> release soon uh, but it was still really expensive, you know, and I, I kind of got this like agreement with my parents that if I would have really good grades, they would buy it for me. And then I, I saw this Dreamcast and it's like half the price of the PlayStation 2. So it's like, if I can get a PlayStation 2, I can get this other system and buy six initial games and have it for the same price as a PlayStation 2. So I, I like ask my parents, so I can get anything of the same price as a PlayStation 2, right? And they're like, yeah, sure. Like think, thinking like I'm like after something weird. So then I thought like, okay, I'm going to get a Dreamcast with so many games. So that's like how I, I became like uh, a Sega gamer for the first time. Uh, and like after that, you know, I started with Virtual Tennis, Sonic Adventure. Uh, I think, no, Skies of Arcadia was later actually. Uh, but like many of the like, Crazy Taxi, the, the classic Sega games. But at the time, yeah. like Shenmue had not released yet. So it was not part of like... The initial, the, the first six games I got, but then like a little later, like I saw on the back of the box this this screenshot of Shenmue, and like the moment I saw that screenshot, I think it was like Liu and Xinhua looking at the moon or something. The moment I saw that, I was like, this game is so different from anything I've seen before, and I knew I had to get that game. But like I go to my parents and I was, I was like, I, I want this game. They're like, you just got six game and. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to wait until I was able to buy it by, you know, saving up money myself. But like once I finally got to play it like that, experiencing the first day of Shenmue, like the first in-game day was like such a magical experience. Like you're walking down the hill from your home and you, you greet the people, you know, and then you buy a juice uh, at the vending machine. It's like I'm living someone's life. And like even today, that's a special experience. But, you know, 
in the, the beginning of the 2000s there there was nothing like it you would like a video game is like jumping around or like you know punching someone it's not living someone's life that was like really such a life-changing experience for me and it changed the way i looked at video games in the future like to this day i stopped caring about uh, maybe a bit of an overstatement but like the, the real most important thing for me in a video game is like the, the world that's created and how they let you experience that so that really became the most important thing for me. Like, how do you tell a story in a video game? How do you let you let the player experience someone's life? So, like, that totally shaped the way I became a gamer. And to this day, that's, like, the main focus of me for playing video games. Fantastic. So, talking about your first in-game day in Shenmue, can you remember it? Yes, I remember it very well because... Uh, you know, Shenmue 1 needed so much space on the on the memory uh, card, right? Yes, like, I think it it's, it's like 70 or something. And uh, yeah. I, I didn't have that much space. And I didn't realize that while playing it. So that first day was just completely lost. But like that made it so much more special because I had to relive that same day. And I was like, I, at first I was like, damn, I'm going to have to do the same thing again. But it was totally different. Like I, there were all these things inside the house that I hadn't noticed yet. And I was like, oh my God, like this game really lets you live someone's life and you can live it over and over and you have new experience each time you play it. So I was I was really happy to actually have to replay that game after playing the first day. Brilliant. And could, I'm probably going way, way back here, but can you remember any of the, the things that you saw first time that you didn't see the second time? What were the differences, if you remember? Yes, I remember getting a winning can for the first time, for example. <laughs> so uh, I was like, so I, I thought I bought a Coke, but something completely different came out of the vending machine. I didn't understand why it was. And then the second time I go to the vending machine again and I get a normal Coke. Like, oh, that's weird. So I, I keep putting money in the vending machine. And like after maybe five or six times, I finally get a winning can again. And then I realized, okay, so this is like something special. I can do something with it. That's like a small, a small difference I, I really remember. And I think the first time I played, I went out of the house pretty quickly. And then the second yeah. time, uh, because I already had played it for a while, I realized that by zooming in on objects, you can focus on them. And the character does something, you know, there's an interaction. So I, I really started opening all the cupboards and like finding cockroaches and stuff like that. I think that's something the first time I played that first day, I didn't experience yet simply because I wasn't used with the game system. Uh, I hadn't gotten used to the game systems yet. Yeah, absolutely. And it's what I think Shenmue is about discovery, isn't it? It's about finding out those controls, finding out the world. And like you say, those little details, the opening of a drawer, the flick of a light switch, the cockroaches, it all adds to that wider world building, doesn't it, in terms of creating that environment? Uh, open world video games are a common thing. Like any, 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 any gorgeous game wants to be an open world game, right? Yes, but, but no game makes a, a house that detailed to this day. I think it's still something that's maybe games like Life is Strange, you know, they, they do stuff similar to Shenmue today. But those games, they only they exist out of scenes, right? You have this scene in yes. this house and then you go somewhere else. But Shenmue is like an open world and at the same time as detailed as Life is Strange. I mean, there's no game to this day that does that. No, there isn't. And it's... Um testament to actually the longevity of Shenmue itself that it's probably the only game was that 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 detailed at the time and like you say even now it's 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 the the thing is it's it's detailed and expensive at the same time like usually you choose one of the two I'm gonna make a really big open world game 
or I'm going to like make a really focused small game. But Shenmue is both at the same time. Yes, it is. And when you consider the world expansion in Shenmue 2, for example, it still kept yes. that element, didn't it, of detail, mm. of, of building that world, building the characters. I mean, I, I use a comparison between Shenmue 1 and Shenmue 2. Shenmue 1 feels like home. Right. You're at home. Everybody knows who you are. And it's quite safe. Yes. You go to Shenmue 2 and you get you come off that boat and it's the you feel lost instantly. Exactly. And and maybe I'm I'm speaking out of turn a little bit here, but I think there hasn't been a video game, in my opinion, since that's captured those feelings that strongly. And maybe I'm mm. maybe I'm biased. I don't know. No, I don't think so. I, I totally agree. And I think a, a, a comparison I usually make, um, I, I use that with Dragon Quest because that's like, you know, a big thing here. Um, so let's let's make it Zelda, for example, you know, in, yeah. in the Ocarina of Time, you start in your own village in Kakariko, right? Yes, you so do. So like that's, that's where you start. You start home and then you go on a journey. But that's like 20 minutes later you're on a journey, right? <laughs> but yeah. in Shenmue, they make one entire game about before you set on that journey. Like that's that's total like uh, logically like if if that would be proposed as an idea they're like no you need to have the player you know excited right right off the bat like he gets up, he wakes up and you know he says goodbye to his family and he goes on a trip but Shenmue is like an entire game about letting the player know what is home to the main character no game takes that much time to create this feeling. And like by the time you play Shenmue 2, you already know who you're from, where you're from. You know your neighbors. You know the the girl you liked. Uh, you you have friends. Um, you know you you even had a part time job. By the time you get set on a journey to Hong Kong, you are completely already a Japanese guy, right? You are this, yeah. this Japanese stoic martial artist called Dio Hazuki. By that you're not you know Ezra anymore. You know you're not Matt anymore. You're Dio, and like to create this feeling before you set on a journey is such a strong thing to the extent that when I was walking around as Ryo in Hong Kong, there's this really weird experience of being a Dutch boy, but you're feeling like you're walking around through Hong Kong as a Japanese guy. Like that's totally insane that Shenmue was able to create that feeling. It is. And I think that's why Shenmue resonates so much with the community as a whole. Because I think it was the first game to really put you in the shoes of the protagonist. It was the first first game to communicate his feelings and put you in his position what would you do as rio so you've lost your father how would you feel you've lost your ticket to hong kong what do you do it was the first game to really sort of delve into those 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 inner workings those inner feelings and absorb the player into into that world into that feeling i think I think it does it better than any game to this day, but that's also because it does it so slow, you know? It yeah. really takes time in doing that. I think that's, like, one big reason why it doesn't appeal to a certain type of player. I can really understand why that's the case. But for those people that have that time, that have that patience to really become this character, there's no other experience like it. I'd agree. And I always liken it to, if you give it a chance... And it, and it takes your heart. You're sold on Shenmue for life, in my yes, opinion. I, think so. I don't think you can just generally think, yeah, that was a good game and move on. Like, if you play Shenmue 1 and 2 to the end and you, you play it while you're enjoying it, like, it's even if it at this age, you know, when the, the re releases came out a few years ago, yeah. I had, I, I really tried to make a lot of people play it. 
and the people that played it, like for some of them, like it became their best game of all time and stuff like that. Even after they, they've passed their thirties, you know, like if you really, uh, you need to be the type of gamer and you need to give it some time. And maybe today you need to get, you know, uh, beyond the, uh, the age it shows on the surface. But once you're able to get what it's about, I think, I don't believe that like the reason I love Shenmue is because I played it at the right time when I was a kid. I really think that as an experience, it, it is that special. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. And likewise, when the re-releases came out, I got some friends to play it. Um, I gifted a couple of copies away because I'm thinking, right, let's just get this game out there as much as we can. Right. And it was a it splits people down the middle, exactly, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's either they can't get it, don't grasp it, it's too slow pace for them. And I completely understand that because it is a slow, slow development game. We've had three games so far. And we're not even we're not even halfway through the story. But then on the flip side, if you engage with it and it gets your imagination and it gets in your mind, it gets in your heart. It, it's a game like no other in the way it communicates its story. And couple that with you know, the story itself, an amazing soundtrack, which we could talk about in an episode on its own, quite frankly. Right. And going back to obviously 1999-2000, it was utterly groundbreaking. It was completely, it was too groundbreaking that many people didn't understand what it was about. You know, it was like, at least, uh, it depends because it's, it's still like it's groundbreaking at the same time. Uh, but it's groundbreaking in a way that's not for everyone. Like it's not GTA 3, you know, that game was groundbreaking in a much more casual way. I think yes. Shenmue was, was groundbreaking and at the same time very niche. So I think that was like his biggest problem is that it's an amazing game for a certain group of people, but it it, it costs the amount of money that you need for a really big success, you know? And in, in, in that way, it's kind of a problematic, problematic series because for that attention of detail, for that amount of, you know, uh, density in a video game, you need money, you know? If you want every single uh, NPC to be unique, if you want to be able to enter every single house, if you want them to be able to say something in full voice that even changes as you progress the story, you're going to need to spend a lot of money on that game. And uh, the people like you have me that got what made it special were not enough to, uh, you know, make that kind of amount of money and, and, and make money out of it. You know, I think that's the biggest problem of the series. Yeah, like you say, it's it's such a vastly dense, you know, well-detailed game, yes. series, franchise, whatever you want to call it. That, but it is so niche. That yes, it's, it's the way it builds. It's slow, but I always find it builds to a big crescendo at the end where all, all the action kicks off. But I think there's a element of gamers now who aren't into that for whatever reason that's completely mm-hmm. their choice i respect that opinion completely but a lot of games now are very fast paced from the get-go aren't they and shenmue's completely the opposite in that respect yes but it was so groundbreaking because it gave the ideas the concept of an open world could be done the amount of detail could be done and so many games borrow from it now it's mm-hmm. um, without shenmue i don't think we have the open world genre as a whole that we have today i think though it's it's interesting because uh you mentioned that games are getting that much more fast-paced today yeah at the same time you know there's a lot of different there's a lot of variety today like especially with indie games like like experiences like journey you know they or, or yes. like even what i mentioned before like life is strange stuff like that there's a lot of games that take it slow that 
have a similar mindset to Shenmue, but they're more focused. You know, like Journey is is an experience you finish in two hours or something like that. Yeah. Um, like Shenmue's biggest problem is that it is a really big budget game and at the same time a very niche game. And I think, I think you know, if if I would be allowed to you know direct the way the the future of the series would go, I would say like make it something like Life Strange. Don't. Of course, I want those detailed open environments, but it's just hard to justify the cost that what they cost to make. You know, I think today there's a lot of different things you can do as an indie game, like walking simulators, for 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 example. There's a lot yeah. you can do to make slow-paced games engaging and then make them at a cost that it can be niche and that it can make money while being niche. I think in that way, Semu still has to find its 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 best format in modern times. That that's what I felt for Semu three. So sort of following up from that point is do you think a more episodic route would would have been would be better like chapter by chapter for example going forward well of course i don't have the exact numbers or anything for how well it's sold but uh, at least from what we know from like deep silver's uh, uh um how do you call those in english um annual calls and stuff like that right yeah it yeah the financials. like it sold crazy numbers or anything um but, you know, for my interview I did with Yusan after uh, Semu 3 was released, it, it did came on the surface that it cost a lot more than, you know, obviously just uh, the amount of money that was backed by backers, you know. So, yeah, of course. Um, I think probably uh, financially, I don't think it was a disaster or anything, but it was probably a difficult thing to say, like, okay, we're going to make another game just like this. Uh, so in that regard, obviously, like, the ideal thing that I would want as a gamer, if I wouldn't have to think about like the costs and, and stuff like that, is like, uh, you know, a full fledged Shemu 4 with like big environments to explore, detailed environments, uh, you know, improved fighting, uh, like uh, being top moves again, stuff like that. But if you think uh, what the series need to, needs to be profitable, I think, um, you know, at this point, with so many good games out there, what what we really want as fans is the story, right? Yes, we do. So I think like uh, something more focused on the story, kind of like you know, uh, uh, I keep saying Life is Strange or like you know a, a David Cage game like Heavy Rain, something like that, that takes you from scene to scene. I I know the stuff in between is really great, but um, if you think realistically, I think that might be a good direction to head in for the future of the series. So is there an argument then that if they went down to say one one area really densely detailed lots of story do you think that that could be the formula for success going forward Right so you mean like uh for example Shenmue 3 only being in Bailu but um, Yeah for, yeah that'd, that'd be a really good really example detailed in story for example right Yeah yeah exactly Yeah sure I guess that could be a, a way to do it um you obviously don't need to uh, make two cities, so that would like be a lot cheaper to make. But I think like um, it all de- it all comes down to what Yusam wants because it does. Uh, I think that he really still has that ambitious spirit. You know, he really still wants to make like generally like one of the most impressive games of its time. I I, I really re- appreciate that you know, spirit of Yusan, I think it's something that really characterizes him as a creator. Like, even at this age, even with so many years not having been able to create, like, a big game like this, he still 
like really wants to make the best game possible and the most ambitious game possible. And I think with this mindset for you, Sanya, saying telling him to make like a more focused short game is is kind of a difficult thing to do because you know for us fans, of course, every fan wants something different, but some of us. You know, just want to get the story done. But if you tell Yusan, just make a game focused on the story, that's obviously not what he wants, you know. So I, I think it all comes down to a balance between what's profitable and what kind of game this Yusan really wants to make. Yeah, and I'd also add to that, actually, that if it wasn't as ambitious with Shenmue 3 in terms of the size of the game, yeah, I don't, maybe, I, maybe it's just a personal point here, but I... It's part of Yuzuzuki's character to be ambitious, and exactly, Shenmue yeah. has always been always been ambitious. And I mm. I wonder if it'd lose a bit of its soul if it wasn't. But maybe that's just me, the way I, I feel about mean, it. I think that you can be ambitious and uh, in a minimal way, you know, right? So, for example, you only have one small area. I think Shenmue like was all about that, right? It, it's not that big, but it's no, like, it's not. What it does within the size is, is important. So if you shrink that to something even smaller, like I think you can make an amazing, really uh, good game with a Shenmue feel that takes place, for example, in one big house. You could do that. I think for the story, maybe it would be difficult. But let's say that uh, you, you've you entered um, the house of Shenhua's ancestors, for example, right? I'm just yeah. saying something. And together with Shenhua, you walk through this house and you explore the details, and Shenhua talks about her memories, stuff like that. You get to know each other better. I think in one house, and make that detailed like crazy, and put like a lot of experiences in that one house. Like, you know, originally Shenmue 1.5, I'd say, was going to be on a boat, right? Yes, it was, yeah. So I think like a really focused experience on just one small area, but pack it with like memorable experiences, could make a great Shenmue game. And one that's much cheaper than like this crazy big city like Niawu, you know? Yeah. And actually, I think as long as you capture the Shenmue spirit, I think fans would be quite happy with something like that. I know I would. Happy. Yes. I mean, I'll take anything Shenmue, quite frankly, <laughs> with you. Same. Um, but I think that's the passion for the series. But speaking about the passion of the series, obviously, um, Shenmue's had quite a profound impact on on your life. I mean, it's inspired sure. you to go to Japan. You've been to China. Can you talk me through some of those trips and how you ended up in <laughs> Japan, China, and and just talk me through some of those trips? It's quite a long story because it's basically my entire life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, if if you put to put it in a nutshell, without Shenmue one, I was already into Japan before that. To be honest, so it yeah. was kind of like. I always wanted to go to Japan. I, I already wanted to live there before Shenmue. But mm -hmm. um, it was like like a fantasy, you know? Like, it was a world that was so far away. I could never experience it. And, you know, if Shenmue wouldn't have been there, I don't know because, you know, you, you never know what would have happened. But um, it it became such a realistic dream after playing Shenmue. You know, I, like, I know what a neighborhood in Japan is like right now. I know what it's like to go to go, the, the convenience store, stuff like that. So... It, this dream really started feeling like reality. And I think that was like something that motivated me to really, really work on it. I started, I think, you know, if you, if you look at it, before I uh, started playing Shenmue, I was into Japan, but I didn't really do anything to achieve that dream. But after playing Shenmue, I started going to Japanese classes. I started practicing martial arts. So there were like these, these things that you can 
identify as like someone trying to actually make that game come that, that dream come true. That was really after Shenmue. So it was like this vague dream that was made reality through Shenmue, I feel. So, um, and, you know, this was all happening as I was starting to play Shenmue 2. And yeah. by that time, you know, I was reading in magazines about Shenmue and stuff. And I was like, I was really into this Japan simulator experience. And then I'm like, okay, so we're going to Hong Kong now? I just want to be in Japan. So at that time, it it felt a bit sad in a way. But yeah. then when I got to play Shenmue 2, I was like, whoa, I'm I'm on this epic journey as a Japanese guy. And, you know, it made me realize that, you know, okay, first I have to become Japanese and I have to become a Japanese martial artist. And once I have achieved that goal, then I'm going to have to become a Japanese martial artist that travels the world. So that's like the, the, the way that Shenmue kind of like created two goals. Each game created a separate goal for me. Like one was becoming Japanese, going to Japan, living there for the rest of my life. And then Shenmue 2 made me realize that once I had achieved that goal, I needed to take that goal and take my Japanese identity and go see the rest of the world, you know? So in that way, uh, it was really like, it, it created the entire uh, rest of my life in a way. So Ezra, can you can you talk me through some of your trip through China, where you where you visited, your experiences, and just the whole thing together for me? Sure. Yeah. So um, it's it's interesting because you know I've explained how I'm like completely influenced by Shenmue. My whole life is like pretty much depending on it. But the funny thing is, I've never been kind of like uh, about going to certain sites as a pilgrimage. You know. So the funny thing is. Uh, before I started traveling, I had lived in Japan for eight years. I had never yeah. been to Dubuita. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's not very <laughs> common, right? It's pretty weird. So for me, it's it's always kind of been that I don't have to be exactly at, at the same place the game took place, but it's just like a feeling of of going after the life that Yo Hazuki had, you know. So. Without going to Dubuita, I have my own Dubuita in, in, in a way, right? So I have my own neighborhood in Japan that I lived in. I have my own dojo I was training at. So I, I never had the feeling I need to go to Dubuita. I, I went like a few years ago for the first time. And that was uh, a really good experience. Though. I, I really felt like I should have gone earlier. That being said, like it was the same when I went traveling that I didn't go like, okay, I have to go to the Memo Temple. I have to go to Guilin. Uh, I have to visit uh, the Kowloon uh, World City remains in Hong Kong. It was just the fact that I was, you know, wearing this big backpack and walking through China and uh, <laughs> fighting with many different martial artists. That was the experience. It didn't have to be exactly the same at, at, at in the same location as where Neil was. So what I did was um, some of the most memorable Shenmue-like events. Uh, where first of all um, training at the Shaolin Temple so I, I went to the Shaolin Temple where uh, there's a lot of martial arts schools near that uh, temple Like and like these schools are huge like they have like 200 students or something like that and, or even more and there's like hundreds of students like standing at the ground like you know uh, doing punches and kicks like it's, 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 it's amazing and first my idea was to go to one of those big schools but then it turned yeah. out to be like when I tried, I went looking, it turned out to be like really touristic. So it was like you would get put into a group of foreigners and then there was an English teaching teacher that would uh, would explain you 
kung fu history and stuff like that. And I kind of wanted the real thing, like you know, a thing where they were like, if you would go there, and they would never have seen a foreigner. Like that's a bit extreme, but something in that direction yeah. is what I wanted. So I hired a bicycle and I started uh, going to the more remote places of the area. And I found this really small old school tucked away. Like actually today it became a really famous school, but at the time it was like there, there were like 60 students and there was one other British guy, one other foreigner, but for the rest, it was like just Chinese students and it was like really dirty, really old, and like uh, like the 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 toilet looked like Resident Evil stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and the, there was this master uh, at the school who was uh, a, a really like the kind of character you would imagine Liu meeting in Shenmue, like like kind of like he was he was a guy, but kind of like the male version of Xu Ying, like really a, a really good person, uh, someone that really um, you know uh grow was growing his spirit as a martial artist so it was really amazing to be with this guy and then you know uh, after he started respecting me he called me to his room where he did this tea ceremony and showed me these ancient shaolin scripts and stuff like that so those were really like moments that were like shaolin is not a location we have seen in shenmu yet but it felt like i was living shenmu you know so that was was really uh the, the Shaolin, uh, I stayed there for one month. It was really hard because we would have to wake up every morning at five o'clock. And then yeah. we had an early meeting training, which was like from five to six, I think. And Ooh. then we had a break. And at seven, we start the morning training. So there's like two trainings, two separate trainings in the morning. <laughs> and it's like, uh, uh, it, like I, I was a karate teacher in Japan. So I, I was thinking like, you know, I'm not going to get tired. I'm, I'm not going to uh, lose against anyone. But then, like, the amount of time that they were training was really exhausting for me. And, like, karate is much more like when you practice karate, it's it's they are, uh, how do you say that in English? They're, they're much more about uh, logical thinking. Like, like for example, yeah. if you're going to hit the sandbag, you do it three minutes, two minutes, two minutes to, you know, train your stamina. And then you practice certain moves and stuff. But in China, in the Shaolin Temple, it was like, okay, here's the sandbag. Uh, you start punching it. And one hour later, I check up on you. You know, <laughs> it's like no other instructions. And it's just one hour of of hitting the sandbag like crazy. And all the kids are falling down. They don't have enough water and stuff like that. It's, it was really uh, unsophisticated, but that made it like really interesting in a way. And I remember after that one hour sandbag trading, I was like completely exhausted and then I went with the other Chinese kids to drink water from the tap, you know? Yeah. And I was drinking it like crazy. And later the British guy that was saying, it's like, what are you doing, man? Like the Chinese people, they grew up here so they can drink the, 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 the tap water here. But if a foreigner does that, you're going to get sick. <laughs> and I, I was not aware of that at all. But in the end, I didn't get sick. So it was okay. But it, it was a, a really a different experience from what I would have had if I would have gone to one of those big schools and would have been treated as a tourist, you know? Yeah, it sounds really, really tough, actually. It I mean, was they... really tough. It was really extreme. But the funny thing is that um, as martial artists, of course, the main teacher was really devoted. It was like his life. But most yeah. kids actually there, they um, they don't go there because they're, they like it. Some of them are... Um, Kids without parents. How do you call it in English? Um, orphans. Orphans, right? They're orphans. So, and the the teacher is nice enough to uh, 
you know, pick them up from the streets and have them become martial artists. And, uh, you know, that's good and all. But for those kids, like for me, it's my passion. You know, I enjoy doing it. But if you don't care about martial arts and it's just because, you know, you were picked up, training for eight days an hour is, <laughs> it's like some of them might have thought I, I would have preferred to just be an orphan on the streets, you know. <laughs> so it was really hard for them, but they do become really physically strong. So sparring against them was really fun because physically they were stronger than me. But because they didn't enjoy what they were doing, I could still beat them. So I, I really realized that a really, I think it's for any sport or martial arts, like a, a really important factor is not how long you train. Of course, that's important or how strong you are, but it's how much are you enjoying what you're doing? And I think in that regard, most of the Chinese students there, they were just being there because they didn't have another place to do, to, to be. And most of them, after they finish training, they go to army and only the really good ones, they become like uh, professional fighters or coaches at the school, something like that. So the, the few people that really become good, they were really good. But like most of them were just physically very strong, but they, they just didn't want to fight. Wow. And it, I suppose it goes into the whole teachings of Shenmue. Actually, there's a lot of martial arts is in the mind, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So, so I think uh, uh, for like, just just training martial arts in China is 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 an experience that feels one hundred percent like Shemu, and it really shows that Yusan, you know, he went to uh, Shaolin Temple actually, and he went to uh, he did, the Bajiquan yeah. style, so he really knows what he's doing. He's not just you know uh, reimagining some kung fu movie or something. He's he's doing the real thing. So what, what as a martial artist, I really respect about Shemu is that even after having been a martial artist for so many years, Shemu still feels like yeah, that's correct. That's what martial arts is like. So it, it really shows how much Yusan, uh, how deeply he studied martial arts for the game. He did, and he got a couple of cracked ribs for his trouble, if I remember <laughs> yes, reading exactly. it correctly. <laughs> that's, that's, that's devotion for you, isn't it? Shows it how devoted, and yeah, you actually have some of the old videos from like the, the Yokohama Pacific event in which you see Yusan doing moves. And he really, uh, he really knows what he's doing. That's that's really something that I, I, I found fascinating after uh, getting into martial arts myself. It's testament to the to, to the craft, actually, and to exactly, his really dedication is. to it. And, and then there's uh, there's two other uh, big Shenmue moments for me during my travels. Yeah, uh, one is actually really uh, close to the Shaolin Temple. Um, because you know, Shaolin Temple and its surroundings is uh, where China's ancient capitals were for for many thousands of years. It only like became Beijing in the last so many years. So the reason that uh, Shaolin Temple is located there is because there was so much culture there in those times. So actually, from about one hour by bus from uh, Shaolin, and that's incredibly close for such a big country. Like you, you go somewhere. 20 hours by train and people call it close by, you know? So that's how big the country is. So if you imagine there's a place one hour by bus from there called Luoyang. And I think if you're a Shenmue fan, you know what Luoyang means to the series, Yes, right? we do. Yeah, the tapestry in Shenhua's house. Exactly. And at that time, I didn't realize that. So I was walking through Luoyang and I was feeling this, feeling this vibe. It's, it's, it's an ancient capital of China. So there's a lot of culture there. There's like um, these in incredible 2000 Buddha sculptures that are, are carved into the wall and stuff. And there's like the oldest Buddhist temple in China. And I'm walking around there and I'm feeling this weird connection. And I start realizing 
I'm in a place that Xianhua mentioned. I didn't know it before I went, so it, it was so weird to find out as I was walking there that, oh yeah, now I remember Xianhua was talking about this place. So that was such a, such a weird coincidence for me because I didn't go there because of Shenmue. Because like I mentioned, you know, I don't go pilgrimaging. So just being there by chance felt so weird. And that's like one of the only moments that I went to Shenmue Dojo. And I, I remember at the time Peter replied to me and I told him like I'm in, in Luoyang at the moment and stuff like and he's like awesome man and stuff like that. So that's... It was such a magical moment for me to be at the Shem, at, the, at the location mentioned in Shemu without realizing myself before going there. That's brilliant, and it's it's good. It's nice that you sort of stumbled upon it. It's probably the way I would put it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it and it had that. It sort of resonated. Hang on a second. There, there's something familiar about this place. There's a feeling I have about it. And then it's that link to Shenmue, as you say. It's, yeah, exactly. It's... And I think I felt, I first felt the connection before I realized Shenmue, you know? So, yeah. so I think there's something special about that place. And that's the way Shenha mentioned it, you know? She hasn't been there, but without having been there, she can imagine the streets, the people walking around. And, and that's really the kind of mysterious vibe I felt in that place before realizing it was uh, related to Shenmue. So in that regard, I think uh, any Shenmue fan should go there without, uh, you know, probably because, you know, in Shenmue 3, that that uh, uh, painting or whatever it is, isn't there anymore, you know? So no, it's, it's probably scrapped from the future of the series. So uh, you probably won't go there is what I think. But I think in a, in a, in a deeper way, it is a part of Shenmue. And, and just being in such a place without you having been there is, is just as important to me because you really can feel the the mysterious feeling Yusan was going after for for the series, you know. Yeah, he can, and we know. Well, I mean, he, he might end up somewhere similar. I know Shenhai talks about in Shenmue Three dreaming of a big imperial city where the emperor and empress are alive. She doesn't mention right. Luang by name. I think that that has to be Luoyang, though, because Luoyang yeah. is an ancient capital. And it's it's conveniently close to the Shaolin Temple, you know. So it, it sounds like that has to be Luoyang. If not, it's going to be have to be a, a place like Xi'an, which was a, a capital for a long time, or Chengdu. But uh, I f- I think it must be Luoyang, especially because she also mentioned it, uh, you know, in the game. Yeah, there we go, everybody. Shenmue Four, we're going to Luoyang. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope so, but I, I don't. Uh, else, they w- if that would have been the case, they wouldn't have scrapped that part from Shenmue Three, you know. No, this is mm. true. Yes. All right. And then, and then the last thing. This is actually closer to an actual pilgrimage. Is you know, even if I'm not a pilgrimage guy, I had to go to Guilin. You know, that's not something. Oh, I, of course. I, fe- I felt I could miss. So I, I, I you know. Guilin was full of mysteries for us at the time because Bailu doesn't actually exist. And, uh, you know, all we had is Yo arriving into this town uh, or at least like, you know, uh, Senhua's house. Yeah. So there was yeah. not actually much to, to, to go after, you know, like it's basically just the v- feeling of, of, of seeing those mountains, seeing the Li River. And, you know, there's not much else you can do. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make my uh, stay at Guilin special in its own right. So what I did is from Guilin City, I started just w- with my 20 kilograms backpack. I just started walking across the river at like 70 kilometers ahead. There's this uh, village called Yangshou, which seems a little bit similar to Niawu in some ways. So my, at that time, of course, I had no idea. But okay, I, I thought I was, I'm going that way. 
So I, I, I had a 20 kilometer day walk at the first day or something. I was completely exhausted. And on the way, uh, I find this bamboo boat laying yeah. in front of someone's house. So I, I knock on the door. It's like a completely you know rural place in the middle of Guilin with you know, like the tourists only go to the main locations. Like and it was somewhere in between as I've been walking. So these people are like, what is this foreigner doing in front of our house? And I'm like, <laughs> um, can I buy this boat, please? And and they let me into their house, and it's like a different world. It's like 100 years. If there wouldn't have been this old television. It would have been 100 years ago. Like people are sitting on on stones, you know. So that's really uh, how, how different it was. And that was like what Bailu was to us before we actually got there. You know, how Semha explains what Bailu is like while you're walking yeah. up mel- mm-hmm. mountain sounds like a village, you know, that's completely out of touch with with uh, modern times. You know, and then you know in Semha three we come to Shem- Bailu and there's a video game center and all, but. You know, the, at that time, that was really how I imagined Bailu to be. So it was, it was such a, a weird experience to be in a in a in a in, in a farmer's house that looks like something from ancient times. You know, and then I buy this boat, and uh, the rest of my journey, I actually went like twenty or thirty kilos on this bamboo boat, and uh, of course, the the boat was laying in front of the house because people weren't using it anymore. So like, just by going on the water with that boat, like half of my body was in the water. It was like basically <laughs> sinking. <laughs> and like, I would use the paddle as fast as I could, but it still wasn't as fast as walking. You know, that was basically, it was nonsensical to use that boat, but it still made it such a memorable experience. And then like, it turned midnight and it was middle of the night and there was no light. There was nobody around. The only sounds I could hear were like birds or like, like, like animal sounds, you know, like, and it was mm. pitch dark. So, you know, going uh, on a boat on a river and not being able to see anything is scary as hell. So it's like, you know, if there's a waterfall or anything like that, you know, I'm going to die. So it's like, okay, I'm, I can't go on. So I, I bring the boats to the shore and I, I start laying on it. And it's like, it's November, which is pretty hot in Guilin, but like in the, in the night, it gets cold as hell. So I, I'm really, I'm starving. I haven't had anything to eat. So it was, it was really hard. But then there came this farmer from far away because he had noticed me and he took me to his home where he let me stay. And it was like, again, such, a, such an, uh, an experience of like 100 years ago because the, they didn't have flooring in that house. The floor was just the same as outside of the house. You know, it was just... Oh, wow. It was just... Yeah, and there was no TV or anything, and there was like like a, a pig walking around through the living room, you know. So that, like, to be in a place like that, you know, made it worth to have you know uh, taken the journey. And then um, the guy didn't speak any uh, English, of course, and he asked me where I was from. So I'm telling like the Netherlands in Chinese, you know, in my broken Chinese. Yeah, and he's like really impressed. He says the Netherlands. I wonder if there's ever been anyone else from the Netherlands to China. <laughs> like, I think I'm not the first one, probably. <laughs> but that's how much this guy was out of touch from reality, you know. And then he he said, "I have a treasure that I want to show you," and he brings me this uh, fridge magnet of Chicago, which he says he found, uh, you know, from it came from the river, you know. And I, I look at this uh, this magnet, and you know, yeah, for us that's like nothing special. But yeah, I don't want to hurt his feelings, so I'm like, oh, this is this is really special, and uh, 
I can see uh, this place here because it says Chicago. I know this place. I know this. And he says, yes, those letters are English. <laughs> That's just, you know, this guy was uh, um, so, so different from the, the modern China that we, we know from the, from the news, like the, the economic power that it's become. Like in the rural parts, it's, it's, it was such a, a different experience. And then the next day, because I, I arrived there at night, the next morning, I could see what the village looked like because it was so dark before. And it, it really was like people were, uh, you know, uh, getting water from the from the well and stuff like that. So it, it was it was such an experience for me. And in the end, like it wasn't directly related to Shenmu, but at the time I felt like, you know, this is the closest I could have been to actually experiencing what life in Bailu might have been like. So I could have kind of through that experience, I, I found peace with myself to not ever being able to play uh, uh, Shenmue 3 or what would come after because I kind of experienced myself, it felt like. And it's amazing with China how there's, there's two sides to it. You've got, the like you said, the modern superpower that it is. And then you've right. got a village in the middle of Guilin where they're just... It's it, uh, yeah, hundred years ago, and it's like being it's like going in a time machine. I think it's probably the best way to describe it. Yes, exactly, and that was the feeling that made the last part of, of Shenmue two in Guilin so special, because before you were in Guilin, you were in Yokosuka, you were in in you know, the modern world, and then Shenhua, you know, walking the mountains with her together and closely getting nearby Bailu Village and learning all these things about that town is kind of like you know you're in the midst of a of a time traveling experience right yeah you are and it's it's crazy actually that there's places in china that are still like that but it's it's amazing to think that lifestyle and and like you say the house hasn't got flooring and and everything else it's a wonderful experience to hear about yeah and it's it's funny because you know it's it's uh 10 years have passed from then so you know, who knows? Maybe it's it's much more modern by now. I don't know. But uh, at the time, it was like that. And then when I got to play Shenmue 3, you know, Bailu was so much more modern than what I experienced, you know? And Nyawu especially is like some rich people's town. But like, I, I think the world building in Shenmue 3 was, was fantastic. But at the same time, I kind of missed that feeling that Shenmue 2, the end of Shenmue 2 got me of this, of going somewhere where there was nothing, where the kids didn't know what capsule toys were, you know, like in the end, the town was filled with capsule toys. That's that's kind of like the experience I hoped to get from Shenmue 3 that I didn't get. But then at the same time, I was ex- able to, lucky enough to experience it in, it in real life. And after I I uh, came back from my travelings, like through China and, and uh, the rest of Asia and Australia after like two or three years, I came back to Japan and, you know, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know what's going to happen after Shenmue 2. So I, I didn't really have this goal to achieve anymore. So it's kind of, it was just the thing of having to wait for the series to continue. And at that time, you know, Shenmue 3 hadn't been released yet. Yeah. But then in 2015, Shenmue 3 got uh, announced at E3. That was the moment from that. I think the next day I started making videos for YouTube. And that's how I became a video game journalist. So in that way, Shemu 3, again, like maybe not in, in a direct way like Shemu 1 and 2, but in a way, it, it again inspired me to become a video game journalist and where I am today. So in, in that regard, it, it completely paved the way of my entire life. That is 
an amazing story to hear <laughs> that that Shen because I think it does. It's had it inspires people Shenmue in various different ways. You talk about picking up Japanese lessons. James, who co-owns the dojo with me, is, is doing Japanese lessons and wants to live over there because right. of Shenmue. Yeah, he visited. He visited China because of Shenmue. Mm-hmm. You've you've gone to Japan. You've been to China. You've become a video games journalist because of Shenmue. It it sounds a bit like like um, I, I'm kind of like making an overstatement, but it really shaped my entire life. I don't think it's an <laughs> overstatement at all because it's it's inspired you, hasn't it? And I think what what's a credit to, to yourself is going. This has inspired me, and you've taken it and run with it, and that that that's a te- yeah and i have the utmost admiration for for people who go and do something like that that something inspires them and they go do you know what i'm going so for so young it. and reckless you know i was like when i first came here i was like 15 so you know if i would if it would be now you know if i would play red Dead redemption 2 right now i was like i'm gonna become a cowboy it was like everyone's gonna be <laughs> <laughs> like if you're if you're 14 when you play Shenmue for the first time and you're like i'm gonna become a japanese martial artist people are like they don't really stop you because they know that you're gonna stop at some point anyway right but i i didn't stop at any point that's the weird thing that happened to me i guess and like if you go at such a young age, like I was like, uh, I, I've been living here since I was 16. And, you know, I, I go to high school here and after that university, um, by the time that you're 20 or something, it's already like, um, it, it doesn't really make sense anymore, anymore to go back. If you know, like it's become such a, a normal thing to be here. So I, I think if you go much later, you know, probably you have important people back home. You maybe have a girlfriend back home. You have yeah. maybe even family. You, you have so many responsibilities. But I came at an age that I didn't have anything at all to worry about, you know. So I think that really made it possible for me to keep going after this dream. And it's a dream that obviously has been successfully <laughs> achieved. I would say you're in Japan. You've... Your, your video games you've done so much because yeah, of sure. because of Shenmue and I, I want to talk I want to talk a little about about sort of Shenmue two to three and the the right. gap in between it I mean did did obviously the series went into hiatus which for a series it's been so inspirational on a personal level did, how did, did you stay in touch with the community did you follow Shenmue in in those intervening years before? so I've I've never been someone that comments on the forums or someone that makes a comment on YouTube, even I, I don't do that. I never did that. So I think uh, with like a a few exceptions, I've never commented anything about it on the internet before I became a a game journalist, but there hasn't been a single day that I didn't check Shenmue Dozo. If there might be some Shenmue news. Brilliant. And going into sort of E3 2015, I'm going to ask this question because I ask everybody this. Did you see um, the forklift tweet uh, from Yu Suzuki the I night before? Actually. No, I think I, I saw that after the, the announcement, yes. Okay, so when, when it got announced, it was a complete shock. Yes, it was. And I was I was I, I found out when while I was, was working at my company at the time, it was it was kind of like a strict company, so I, I couldn't like notice and start screaming or something like that. I think I noticed at like eleven a.m. or something. Nice. Yeah. I was like, 
okay, so this is a joke again. Like we have these jokes each year, you know. Yeah. And then I, yeah. I start realizing that it's true. I'm like, um, I'm I'm going out for lunch, <laughs> and the moment I, I I left the apartment, I started screaming like crazy, running through the streets of Shibuya. <laughs> It was such a, an amazing feeling. And, you know, of course, the rest of that day, the only thing I did was checking the Kickstarter page, how much it had reached at that moment. I remember this is kind of a funny, a funny story that maybe my wife would get angry at. But like, and about like, I think a few weeks later, like the, the day Shemu 3 was announced, I came home like screaming like crazy, you know. And a yeah, few weeks yeah. later, I got a phone call while I was at work. And my wife told me that she was pregnant. And that day I came home much quieter. So it seems like so Shemu is that much more important to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet you were in trouble for that. No, actually, she, she kind of saw the humor in it. So it was okay. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good, at least. No, fair, fair enough. So, so talking about the Kickstarter itself, um, how long did it take you to back it? <laughs> well, I, I like, I, I don't have, a, I, at the time, I didn't have a credit card. So mm-hmm. I had no idea how to do it. So, but I knew my wife had a credit card. So I, I think I messaged her to ask her for her credit card information. <laughs> and there's this thing, there's this problem. Because my wife is Taiwanese. I met her when I was traveling. Oh, yeah. And um, Taiwanese also call their money dollar, you know? Right. Yeah. In, when it's used in English, they use the dollar sign. So I was like, can I um, use uh, your credit card to back something for $300? And I had no idea that she was thinking of Taiwanese money. And that would be like 10 bucks or something, $3, Taiwanese dollars. So, so I, I start uh, backing $300 while my wife is thinking I'm doing something like $10. And then when I came back and, and she, she saw how much I used, she's like, you cheated me and stuff like that. But I, I, I really didn't know that she was thinking that way. But it became a bit of a problem because she didn't think I would use that much money. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear but still you know com- com- compared to all the amazing fans $300 was nothing I remember well yeah but every little helped at the end of the day it didn't matter if you were backing for $1 $100, $10,000 or anything in between it got Shenmue 3 off the ground didn't it I remember uh, actually it was like uh, during E3 and my, my birthday was a little bit before that Yeah, and my parents had asked me uh, if I want something and I always don't know what I want for my birthday but like at that point, I called my parents after that and I asked them, if you still want to buy me a birthday present, please back an additional $100 for Shenmue. And my parents both did that. So they're on the list oh, as fantastic. well. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a really good idea, actually. I like that. Yeah, it was a good birthday present for sure. I remember, <clears throat> remember the Kickstarter, people were gifting gifting copies to their friends or backing it on behalf of their friends. I don't know, the Kickstarter really sort of captured that imagination. And I mean... I think it shows how revered Shenmue is, considering within what minutes the Kickstarter page had crashed because of because of the announcement. I mean, you go back to that E three announcement, and there's a standing ovation right. for, for Yuzuzuki and Shenmue, and I, it's one of those games that I think, whether you like it or you hate it. I th- from a from a gameplay point of view, I think you can respect it. If you're like if you're in the video game industry. And you have never heard of Shenmue? You're, I think um, you're kind of uh, you have a problem, to be honest. Of course, I understand that like many people uh, think it 
it, uh, was a product of this time and stuff. I don't agree with that stuff, but I understand that there's many people like that. And I think, um, especially after they got re-released and after Shamu 3 came out, like it's kind of become like a common thing to say that it's like uh, it was great back then and it's not anymore today. I, I, I kind of feel bad about this new way that many people are looking at Shenmue. And I really hope that more people find out that there's so much more than than those kind of opinions to it. Yeah, I, I would second that. I think it, it's unfairly categorized yes, as a exactly. slow, boring experience that's the product of the time and doesn't hold up today. Mm. Whereas I would argue that it's storytelling, um, especially in the first two games, and holds up to any game to any modern game today i think especially two i think two is much more easy for people to get into because no it's so much faster i think Mm -hmm. actually you know as what what made it so special for me is really that slow start for semu one but if you want to have a commercially successful game if you would have started it with semu two i think much uh, more people would have understood it. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, you think of the opening of Shenmue 2, what you're getting robbed within the first 10 minutes of the game and you're into a fight. The action starts right away. It's exciting right away. I think that's so much more easy to understand for, for many people. So in, in that regard, for me, what made it special is really starting with Shenmue 1. But, like, if you think yeah. of it as a business, you know, maybe if they started with Shenmue 2, things might have been different. I sometimes really think that. Yeah, and I know it originally started off, didn't it? Shenmue 1 and 2 were going to be one game together, yeah, exactly. and then it obviously yeah. got it got, it got got split they up. They wanted to probably, you know, make the first part much slower. Uh, I mean, uh, shorter, to go go on to Shenmue 2 much faster. Um, you know, then again, you know, that might have been the correct uh, business decision, but, like, the reason that people like you and me uh, cannot forget about this game is really how it you know takes time and really creates this this other dimension that feels sometimes even more real than the one you're living in you know yeah and it does it creates an escape for everybody but that's because of the world and the pace and everything that goes with it exactly uh, so if if it would have started like more like a, a an action-packed experience that people would understand maybe it would have been more successful at that time but would people still have been talking about it like this 20 years later? That's another question. You know, that's really what made it so special. Yeah, I, I would agree with that completely. I, I Had they gone in with Shenmue 2? I don't, I don't know. It's I think because Shenmue 1 gives you those foundations for the character, you're invested in it. So Shenmue 2, you, all the hard, heavy lifting's been done. Right. So you go straight into Shenmue 2 and you're already invested in it. You're already invested in the story, which I think just adds to that mm. overall experience. And I, I, I wonder if you'd lose that maybe if you didn't have Shenmue 1. Of course you'd lose something for sure. You'd lose some some really special feeling. But then again, some people don't care about that feeling. True, true. So, you know, for, for those people, maybe that would have been uh, a way to make them, you know, like Shenmue, but then, you know, at the same time, that would be something really, uh, it wouldn't be as deep, you know, for those people. So, you know, mm. um, they wouldn't have been that focal to to keep the series alive and stuff like that. So I, I think in the end, what made it that special and the reason it came back is really the reason that its space was so much different from any other game. Yeah, definitely. And, it, and how I think it inspired the way we feel about it. Mm. And speaking of sort of, inspiration obviously it's inspired you to go into video game journalism and one bit i want to pick up on is with re-releases themselves 
um, 2018 Christmas yes. and Christmas with Diabrita. You were involved in that. Can you talk me through how you sort of became involved in that event and how that all came together? Oh, you, uh, you mean the Shemu uh, fan, fan event? Yes, ah, right, yes. yes. Um, basically, uh, it was my idea, I would say. Um, so uh, I was uh, in contact with uh, the people from Yokosuka. Uh, yeah, because I reported on uh, the, the 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 travel guide they did, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember that the the pamphlet. So yes, um, yes, and you know, I think they showed up at some IGN Japan events, and we got talking, and was like, you know, couldn't we don't do something like that? And uh, they were really into the idea, so um, we were like, let's do that, and you know, uh, from there there on. Um, I did like you know the preparing of the the presentation, the the the, the like talking with Matsukaze-san and and um, the other people on board and stuff like that, and and they did all the stuff like you know finding a venue and stuff like that, and you know they created all the uh, the iconic um, the box of Abe store and stuff like that. So it was basically a co- collaboration between IGN Japan and uh, and Yokosuka City. So. Yeah, it was really good because uh, financially, uh, Yokosuka City was uh, nice enough to fund all of it, you know, because oh, for Asia and Japan, there wouldn't have been any profit in it. So uh, it would have been just a hobby for me. And I, I could have never uh, been able to do something big like that without them on board. So it was really great that they were uh, willing to do something like that, you know. So I'm really grateful for that. And I think in the end, like, like 125 people showed up or something, and it was... Oh, wow. Really amazing to be in, in an environment where everyone loves Shenmue, you know? It's like, it's not something like, like if I, I, I've lived for like 33 years and I've found someone that likes Shenmue by chance, maybe two or three times in my life. So to be, you know, with 125 people like that in the same room is like such a special experience. God, I remember the event. <clears throat> I think, did it straight? It streamed live, didn't it? Yes, we did a live stream for the for the talk show, right? And after that, there were like uh, other activities and just you know talking together with fans and stuff like that. But the the main talk show we did a live stream. Yes, that's great. And it's been uh, uh, subtitled actually. Actually, the uh, people from Yokosuka did the subtitles as well. So they they really went all in on it. Yes, they did. <laughs> I remember it now. Thinking about it, such a good event and so many. I don't. Shenmue fans come out the woodwork for things like that. I think they an event pops up, and all of a sudden you get hundreds of Shenmue fans <laughs> turn up. Yeah, because uh, people, you know, uh, say that especially like for Shenmue, the Western fan base is is so much stronger than the Japanese. I think to a certain extent that's true, but um, you know, it's it's also kind of a, a difference in uh, culture because in the West, being vocal about what you like is is I think much more normal than here yeah so um people don't really you know make all these big ideas of, of creating uh ways to you know get the series back and stuff like that but i think they do really care and especially like if you look on twitter and like all the fan art and stuff like that there's a lot of really uh, invested japanese fans in that regard and i think that event really showed that there's a, a lot of japanese people that care for the series as well I think, you know, in Jap- in Japan and in the West, it's always a niche thing. But, like, regardless of where you're from, there's a niche group of people that really understand this game, and that's the same in Japan. I think this event really showed that uh, there's a lot of Japanese people that care for the series as well. 
Yeah, very much so. And you talk about the fan art, actually. I'm, I'm talking, you look at Shenmue World, there's a lot of Japanese fan art in uh, yes, there. Yes, exactly, yes. So, and, so, and that's just a snippet of the daily fan art that you do see across from across, not just Japan, but across the world yes, as, as a whole. It's, it's quite, quite frankly, the amount of work that comes out of fans is, is, it's crazy. I don't know how they have the time to do it. <laughs> quite frankly, it's yeah, they're ridiculous. so talented too. You know, right? Like, if, yes, if they're that talented, they can probably get really good jobs at illustrators and stuff like that. So I really appreciate the fact that they take their time and make these awesome illustrations for us. There was one Keith. I can't remember his last name. He he got a job working on the anime. Oh, really? Through his through his um, fan art. Oh, I work. wonder yeah, where that. That's cool. Which is which is um fantastic and i don't i don't know what quite what he's doing on it because mm. he's obviously not really allowed to talk too much <laughs> about it but it's it's it just goes to, and i think of um no con kid as well actually with shenmue 3 if you're that talented you know it's uh it would kind of be a waste to not have him on the team yeah definitely mm. i'm gonna go into shenmue 3 now obviously the game's been kick-started it's got um, it's gone, got a publisher through Deep Silver. It's gone through its fair share of trials and tribulations, I would be fair to say, in terms of the deal with Epic, which I know caused a bit of a ruckus with some people. Personally, I couldn't care where Shenmue was. I would play it wherever it was. Mm. I'm, I just wanted the game. Um, that's my personal opinion. I know others don't share that. But coming to release day in the game itself and firing it up for the first time and obviously you reviewed it for IGN Japan yes. so you probably got it a little bit earlier <laughs> um talk me through your your thoughts of Shenmue 3 playing the finished product it's a it's a difficult thing because I think it's a it's a very good game I think I think it's a really good game that really plays like a Shenmue game should play right it has all those elements that are so important to the series so like we we've been saying there's no game like Shenmue. Yeah. And I think Shenmue 3 was the game, the first game that made me feel quite obviously I'm playing Shenmue again. So to have that feeling alone makes it such a special video game for me. And then at the same time, there are some things it does that are uh, in a nice way, probably, but really um, remarkable and revolutionary. Even I think like the way everything is interconnected to this game is, is insane. Like, um, you have like 80 shops in one game where you can buy stuff and like uh, buying stuff at that at those shops at first glance it doesn't really matter if you buy a plate or not but then you start collecting the move scrolls and you realize i need to find a blue plate that looks like this yeah. but yeah. there's like five stores that sell plates and like which one of them have the right plates and it really starts to work like these shops you really start to understand that they have a meaning within the game. And then you start collecting the Chobuchans inside the game. You do, yeah. And you, uh, as, as a Shemu fan, like looking at the details is really something that's always been fun, but it really never had a purpose. You know, you could look at, except for like, you know, uh, the Hazuki basement, stuff like that. Um, yeah. Generally yeah. walking around and looking at the environment was stuff we loved, but stuff that really didn't have a purpose. So for most people, they were like, why should I care that I can, you know, open the shelves? But no, there's like real purpose to opening the shelves. And well, you're not opening shelves, but like looking at the environment and finding how masterfully all these Chobuchans are hidden. And first I was just doing that, you know, for, for the sake of how fun it is to find them and collect them. But then you realize, okay, so these Chobuchans, I also need to collect a certain amount of, of them to uh, exchange them for a martial arts scroll again. So everything 
this world has created is interconnected in such an interesting way. And then you have the, the fights, the training. I think the, the fights itself, the, the battle system itself is obviously not as good as the original Shenmue's. But I think yeah, um, I the training and how it does that is it creates something really special, which I think hasn't really been mentioned, uh, which is the fact that, you know, normally in, it became an RPG, right? You have to level up yes, Yo and yeah, his yeah. moves. How do you normally level up a character in an RPG? Well, you, you, you grind, you repeat, you, you train, don't you? you? Whatever it is. For a normal RPG, you keep uh, uh, um, fighting with Weak enemies, right? Yes, you do. You keep fighting and fighting and fighting. It's never, you're not training, you're fighting. And by fighting, you're gaining experience. I think one of the things that I really love about Shenmue is that it's about martial arts. And at the same time, it finds a way to not be overly violent. Because like there's only like, like a handful of actual fights in the game, right? Yeah. It's all about training to, to overcome yourself and to... Be able to beat that one opponent, you know. Actually, like in the in the game, it, it does that twice. That's kind of like a problem, I think. But like uh, both in Bailu and Niawu, there's only one big guy you have to beat. And in order to beat this guy, you find ways to train. You find masters to learn from. And you know, you you get a higher dan each time you fight. But you're not fighting bad guys. You're fighting other guys that are training as well. So you're learning how to communicate in a way with each other by fighting. That's like what martial arts would really be like. You're not always fighting the bad guy. You're fighting for, for a bigger purpose, kind of, right? And I, I think what's really cool is the sparring element, which you can do at many different places. And it doesn't matter where you do it. Like in Bailu, you can practice as the dojo or you uh, can practice with Master Fung or with the girl, for example, right? Yes. It yeah. doesn't matter who you do it, but the fact that you're sparring with your father's old teacher is such a special feeling. And, you know... I would have wanted that guy to have more, uh, uh, you know, phrases in the game, more dialogue, more, you know, yeah. depth in, mm -hmm. in, into that. But even without that depth, the fact that you can go to that guy and train together with him is like, uh, in a way, storytelling, I think, in a way that only a video game can do. As, because you're feeling, as you're sparring, it's not just grinding. You're feeling that you're, you're fighting with this special person. And I think that that's really uh, uh, something that Shamu didn't really do before. A tried kind of like, you know, in Shemu 1, you could spar with Fuxan, but, you know, you could only do it for once a day and only for a little bit of time, which made practicing a throw move such a pain in the ass. And I always dreamed of being able to spar with Fuxan as much as possible. And in that regard, I really think Shemu 3 delivered on that. And, um, you know, through sparring with these people, you know, um, I, I'm sorry, I always remember their names by the Japanese characters, but there's the guy in Yao, the, the fat guy, you know, uh, I think his game is Shu or something. Yes, yes. Yes. So you can spar with him. And then in the end, you know, <laughs> you, you sat on a journey with him and you're like, who is this guy? I hardly know him. But if you go to his place every day and you take your time to spar with him, even without knowing him through the story, well, that would have been better, obviously. But if you can you know, kind of communicate with him through training that creates create such a special feeling. And I think like not beating up people, but sparring together with people. The fact that Shenmue uh, incorporated its RPG systems in that way is, is really special. And I think it doesn't receive enough credits for that. So I think that's really one, one really good part of Shenmue. And then, you know, th there's the obvious problem of, you know, the story. It didn't advance enough. It, yeah. It's, uh, you know, the, the problem is that uh, at this point, when you've waited that long, it's it sounds funny to say, but I think many Shenmue fans can relate. 
is that I would rather have had a really bad game, but one that really advanced the story. I think what we got is a really good game that didn't advance the story. Yeah, yeah. I, it's the one thing that I think that let, not a foul taste in people's mouths. I'm probably being very over the top, but definitely could have been improved. Was some of the little elements around the story. You talk about Grandmaster Feng, for example. They got that one cut scene under the tree where he meets Rio for the first time. That's a perfect Shenmue That's scene. I wanted more of those Shenmue. sorts of things. Those those were the sorts of things I wanted more of. Those sorts of because they build the environment, they build the character, and they build the sort of motivation as to why Rio's there and also why they're trying to help him. Like you talk about the final scenes at the at the castle, and you've got Grandmaster Bay there, you've got Zhu there, you've got Sheeling, the, the shrine maiden there. I just wanted a little bit more as to why. <laughs> uh, quite, I wanted a lot more, to be honest. Like, um, you know, I think for Zhu, it's because you could spar with him. I felt a connection. But yeah. the, I mean, the girl, to be honest, I don't remember her name, and and that's so weird because, you know, for the original Shenmue, I, I knew the name of every single character. Yeah, like, yeah. The fact that I can't instantly remember her name really shows something, and that's the biggest fault of the game. I think it was too ambitious. It tried uh, too many game things centered around the gameplay. Um, you know, the forklifts with, you know, driving the machines and having them arrive at the game center the next day. It's all great. It's all really well done. I think, like, you know, some people didn't understand it, probably. Like, it's it's not been reviewed very well. But I think in, in all those respects, I was really amazed by how well made the game was. Like, just for the first time walking through Niawu, it took me days to see everything. Like, I, I, I remember I was reviewing it, so I needed to hurry. <laughs> But then, you know, I started playing it in the morning yeah. and and it was evening, like it was already night. And I realized, oh, my God, I didn't advance the story at all today. <laughs> it's like there's <laughs> there's not many games that have that much detail for the player to savor. To savor. And, I'm, and in that regard, I really think it's like an amazing game. But, you know, in the end, like like I said, I there's so many amazing games today and there's only one story that's intrigued me like that and on in that regard it just didn't re- deliver i can't say it yeah. delivered in that regard and you know there were some really touching moments in bailu and yeah but then true. again like there were some things they didn't answer in bailu that they probably only could answer in bailu you know like the shemu tree like uh tell me a bit more about why this game needs to have the title of that tree because after this, we're going to leave Bailu. Okay, maybe there are more Shenmue trees in other places. Sure. But, you know, this the the ending of Shenmue 2, having finally reached the Shenmue, 2, the, the Shenmue 3, finally realizing, okay, we're, we're really getting to the core of the story right now. And then in Shenmue 3, don't, not mentioning at all what that tree means. Like, that's... That's like a huge miss in my in my books, but still, you know, Baidu had some of these really important, you know, moments of you know feeling the connection with your father and stuff, you know. Um, so, so I was still kind of like, okay, I'm I'm kind of getting what I want, but then in after I re- arrived in Niawu, at first I got really into into the gameplay stuff, into just seeing the world, and I was really fulfilled. But then a few days later, I was like, okay, now it's time to go after the story. And I, I I start feeling more lonely and, and more lonely the, the more I played. Like it, it just didn't answer those questions. And even without answering the questions, like, you know, even Shenhua felt like it felt like I had such a deep connection with her in Bailu. 
But then after arriving in Niau, it was kind of like, okay, I'm going out now. See you in the evening. And then like when you go back, this is like, okay, I'm going to sleep right now. And that would be like all you would do with her. And of course, there's a few special moments, you know, talking from the balcony together. But like the depth of, you know, living together with someone that I really felt in Bailu was was gone after coming to Niau. So it it really felt like after arriving in Niau, it suddenly became a game that has all the elements that a Shemu game needs, but it doesn't build on them anymore. Yeah, and I know I know Cedric's gone on record to say that the ending was changed and and bits and pieces in the hour were were changed from the original plan. So that might have been and might come into why it happened. I mean, I want to talk about those conversations with Shenhai and Bailu. They're some of the best conversations in the game. Yeah, sure. I think that part was amazing. Um, there, there's really. Uh, my originally my favorite part of the first two games was uh, Guilin, so walking the mountains with Xianhua, and you know s- staying with her at home was totally like a, a continuation of that, right? Yeah, definitely. And and then I think what I what I would say about Bai Lu is that it it teaches you uh, what it is like to be with people or feel people in multiple ways. So like when you go home, it's like it feel it, you you learn what it feels like to live together with someone. And then uh, when you are, are are learning martial arts, you feel you learn what it feels like to be with this weird martial arts monster, right? Yeah, yeah. And then at the same time, the whole time you're in Bailu, you feel this deep, fake connection with your father being here a long time ago. So like in three different ways, it shows how Ryo has a connection between different sorts of people and in different sorts of ways. And I think for that reason, it's a really beautiful game. And in that regard, I think Bailu was was totally a fantastic experience. Definitely. And more, more of that, I think, for Shenmue 4. Moving on to Shenmue 4 itself, what what do you hope for Shenmue 4 going forward? That's a difficult question. Um, it's hard to say because, you know, I, I meet Yusan from, from time to time. I, I don't know what it looks like or anything, but... I have a vague idea of what he wants, and I had that when he was making Shemu Three, you know. But at that point, uh, I I hadn't seen the full game, right? So talking to someone before he makes a game and talking someone to someone after he's made it is is so different because at at that point when it's not out yet, you have to kind of like imagine what he means, right? Yeah, yeah. But after Shemu Three is released, you're like, okay, so that's what he meant, and in in that regard. I think for him, uh, he is really, uh, you know, with his arcade roots and all, he's really about making interesting game systems, about uh, uh, making something that's technically interesting, you know? So I yeah. think that was the most important thing for him. For, for him, I don't know. It's just what I think when talking to him, what I feel. And, you know, in, in that regard, I think there's this weird uh, uh, gap in what, the fans want and what Yusan wants because I think that the story isn't as important for him as it is for us. That's really what I feel. So in, in that regard, um, you know, he will probably, if he gets the chance, make another amazing game with an amazing world. But I am worried if he cares as much as we do to make this story really something special. I, it feels like that's not his main focus. And I think what made Shemu 1 and 2 uh, different in that regard, I don't know, it's just me speculating, but probably just the fact that it was such a, a, a bigger team and a more professional team, probably, 
in that regard that there were probably some really good uh, writers on the team. So, of course, Yusan originally wrote the script uh, for the game. And, you know, there's, 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 there's a main story he has that he wants to deliver. But I think in the end, for him, the most important thing is to make something that is, you know, technically impressive. And without as big as a team as before, uh, I think the focus on story is something that becomes smaller and smaller the smaller the team becomes. So that's kind of like a worry I have because for me, you know, uh, after have, having wait, waited for such a, a long time, I don't really care about something that's technically impressive anymore. I uh, I just, like, even a very simple game that tells the story would be really interesting for me. And and that just doesn't seem to be the most important thing for you, Sam, which I totally respect and understand. Like, like that's just his background. That's just who he is. So in that regard, I just want him to make the game that he wants to make. But but I don't think that after getting the feedback from Semu 3, he will suddenly start uh, to make a big change in like uh, how big the story of the focus should be. I think that's really... There's a big gap in, in, in what we feel and what Yusan feels in that regard. So is is there, sort of following up onto that, is there an argument within, obviously, Shenmue 3, you've got the core systems of the game in place, you've got a fighting system that I know needs some touching up here or there, but you've got the core elements of a game system there. So from a creative standpoint, would it make more sense for those systems to be used and then really go in on the story for Shenmue 4 while polishing up some minor things that were criticised in terms of the gameplay systems for Shenmue 3? I think it's uh, it's difficult because I think Yusan's nature is to uh, keep uh, making revolutionary things. So like, if he has something that's a foundation for the future, like Shenmue 3, Will he just build on that and like make something that's kind of like an extension or that of that, or does he want to make something that's even more impressive the next time? I think probably what he wants is the letter. The, the problem is like what kind of budget will he get and yeah, what yeah. will be will he be able to do with that? I think in that regard, uh, it's it's so difficult to to speculate, but. I don't think because you know if Shemu one and two was actually quite similar system wise, right? Yes, they were. He really Im- Im- improved on on certain things, but the, the core of how the game works was pretty similar. But you know, yeah. it, what what the big difference is is that Shemu one was generally well received, right? Yeah, generally. Uh, generally, of course, you know it wasn't understood by everyone, but I think it was not like you know Shemu three. Like you know, it, it doesn't have a very good score at Metacritic. It's it's not like um, outside of the fan base, everything says it's it's an it's an impressive game or something like that. But I think it's it's not. I think it's impressive to be honest. I, I, I've, many people, even like within the fan base, don't seem to have that opinion. But I thought that it was a really impressive game in many ways. Like the world they built, the city they built in Yawu, it may, might not be that big, but the amount of details that it has, I think it was really impressive. But I think that Yusam, you know, seeing all the feedback, won't want to go with the same base for his next game because it just wasn't well received, you know? So if he wants to make something that's technically impressive, he knows that the base that he already is has isn't going to do it. Okay, yeah, that's an interesting take on it. So are you, obviously, this is all speculation. Are we thinking that maybe 
from your interaction, obviously you've interviewed him many times, that he would almost want to start again. Would that be fair to say? Um, I don't think he wants to start again. You know, I, I have this one interview after he uh, released Cemetery Like and how he yeah. looked back in a, and how he, what he wants to do uh, for the series with, in the future. And yeah. it, it sounds like, I think I would say, uh, like he really wants to fix the mistakes that he made. Mm-hmm. And in my eyes, like the only big mistakes are story and like something that we haven't discussed about world building yet. But I think he wants to make it an accessible game for modern video gamers. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, I don't think that's the right way to go because um, I think that's a difficult task. I think especially for a game like Shenmue, uh it's it's something that i think you should really focus on the niche people and that make it make it a niche people a niche product that can sell that can be cheap enough to uh justify to be the fact to be niche right yeah but i think what what you some really wants is to make this game that modern gamers that haven't been in touch with shemu before understand and respect and like I think that's the direction he wants to go to. So in order to do that, um, I think he really wants to change a lot of fundamental things about it. But still, I think at the same time, he does want to make sure that it's something that the fans will appreciate at the same time. And that's a tough balance to make, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's really... I think it's it's an impossible balance because it's not going to be that game. I think Shenmue is, is not going to be a game everyone in modern day understands and likes because especially with the ambitions of Suzuki-san because he has huge ambitions and to make something with ambitions like that and make it something everyone likes, you need to have a triple A budget and he doesn't have that. So (laughs) I I don't think it's it's the right way to go for him, but it's just his nature to to want to make the most ambitious, technically, technically impressive thing that there is. And I think it's... If I would, you know, I keep saying I would think this kind of thing would work better, but that's just not his nature. So for him to go against his nature and make something wouldn't work either, you know. So in the end, it's hard. But the, the biggest problem remains that with his current ambitions, it might be difficult to find a publisher, you know. Fingers crossed they do. I know they're pitching. Obviously, Cedric told us that and just before Christmas. So we'll see what comes of it. I've I've got everything crossed. I do think we're in a better position than we were, especially with an anime on the way as well. Like that anime could do do a lot of things. You know, it could make people interested in the series. Um, and, you know, at, at the same time, you know, this industry is getting old. You know, it's like it's 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 like uh, we've been playing 30 video games for 30 years. Right. And, you know, yeah. at first, you know, making money was all it was about. But now it, it kind of has a more artistic value as well. Right. So for publishers, yeah. it can be interesting. You know, maybe it wouldn't sell big numbers, but to have, you know, a Shenmue title, to have published a game that has been, you know, so fundamental for the evolution of the industry, it could be interesting even if you're not going to make a lot of money on it. And I really hope that there's a publisher around like that. Like this, I think in the end, like I'm really grateful for what Deep Silver did in that regard. Like it, I don't know, but maybe it didn't make them that money, but. But at least, you know, they've contributed to the legacy of Shenmue. And I really hope 
And I think it should be justifiable for the bigger publishers to, you know, just have that on their on your portfolio in a way, right? To have, uh, you know, um, support that's such an important game in this industry. Yeah, absolutely. And Shenmue, Shenmue is it, it was a trailblazer. It was it's the reason we've got what we've got today in terms of the open world genre. It, what who wouldn't want to contribute to a to a name like that? But I mean, obviously, then you you got to talk talk about it from a business point of view. And we've touched on this in terms of ambition to budget and and everything else that goes on in between in development of a game. And I want to touch on actually your your interviews with Yuzuki actually because you've interviewed him a number of times over the years. How has your relationships developed with him over the years from your first interview with him to what it's like these days? Uh, there's so much in that regard that I just can't talk about, I think. <laughs> I guess from a from a personal um, perspective, but I think we're it's safe to say that we're really good friends. And um, like that first time, um, well, actually I have met him before briefly, but the first time I really got time with him was uh, at Magic Monaco in 2019. Yeah, and at that time we we really spent quite a lot of time together because we were in the same airplane, so we were we were waiting in the same uh, seats oh, for okay, the trans yeah. transit and stuff like that. So we really talked a lot uh, at that time, and like um, you know, up, upon the release uh, for Semu, we were together in Germany, we were together in Los Angeles, we were together in Kyoto for Magic Kyoto, you know. So like it kind of felt like we were traveling the world together, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So and and you know Yusan also uh, really enjoyed traveling in his, his earlier years, which is probably why Shenmue Two turned out the way it is. You know, so you know just not only about video games, but you know we talk a lot a lot about like traveling and stuff like that, and you know how that inspired him to make Shenmue and stuff like that. And then after the release of Shenmue Three, um, you know there was no real reason to contact him anymore. You know. So then, like, uh, a few months after release, I really started missing him. So I, I came up with this reason, you know, to interview him, which became the interview, the last interview I did with him about the future of the series, you know. And, um, you know, now after that, maybe we meet, like, two or three times a year, have dinner together, just, you know, um, not I'm not interviewing him at the moment, but but we, no. we meet from yeah. time to time. Excellent. It's nice to hear. Magic Monaco 2019. That's a throwback. It's not that long there. ago, actually. It's like it's only two years ago, if you think of it. I know, but it's gone so quickly, hasn't it? Those two years. <laughs> it's like a Man. totally different world for us because you know we were we had twenty years without anything, and you know after it's it's only been two years, but we've got Shemu three in between, and that's like that's like ten years for us to have that game. You know, <laughs> it's like so much stuff happened in, in for us. So in that regard, like. I remember uh, at, at that moment uh, for the interview, he showed me the game and that uh, that was the first time I see I saw it. And like, it was a complete mystery. So like just seeing Leo Woke for the first time, I, I remember I had to to try to not go insane, you know? So, <laughs> and now he like, I, I've played the game for over 200 hours. It's like, uh, it's, it's, it's common for us now to have Shenmue 3. Yeah, yeah. Like in 2019, Monaco, seeing that game for the first time was like, obviously for me the highlight of my career as a video game writer and i don't think there's going to be anything like that in the future yeah that was a really good time monica and we talk about the intervening gap now obviously we've had shenmue 3 
and we have an anime on the way. Yes. Um, what What are your thoughts, on sort of, the, on the anime and how that how that can fit in with with Shenmue itself? Um. So, um, initially, to be honest, I wasn't that interested because, um, I think Shenmue is interesting as a story because it is a video game, because it creates yeah. those worlds, because it really makes it feel like you're experiencing itself. Uh, but I was really happy because it could create a lot of uh, in- new interest for you know potential new players, you know, which might help the series in the future, you know. Um, and especially because uh, the director um, is is known for like One Punch Man, which is like a really action heavy game uh, anime. And personally, like for me, the most important parts of Shenmue are really like the quiet moments, like walking with Shenmue to the to, through the mountains and stuff like that. So I was worried, like, is this going to be some like battle manga where Dio faces a different opponent in each episode or something like that? You know, that was something I, I wouldn't be interested in. But then uh, Famitsu uh, once did a really long interview yes, uh, with Yusan and uh, I think the producer it was. Yeah. And that interview really showed that they understood, Yusan, of course, but the, the producer as well, that he really understood what Shemu is. So uh, after that interview, I really started feeling that, okay, these are really generally people that understand Shenmue that are going to make this anime. So that got me a lot more interested than before that. Yeah, I think that reassured a lot of fans, actually, because I think one of the biggest concerns was, would would they get Shenmue? Do they understand the essence of it? And actually that Famitsu interview, I think, gave a a nice feel to it. Yeah, I think Um, it gave a really good impression by... um, uh, I really, I really felt as a fan. Okay, they they know what Shemu is, they understand it, and they want to uh, pay homage to it. So in in that regard, I feel much better about it now. And you know, uh, th- it remains to me that the, the most uh, happy I am about it is the fact that it it keeps the series alive. It has the potential to um, reach new fans that normally wouldn't play video games. So of course, it's it's only it's only good that something like this exists. Yeah, it is. And I think the franchise is in a far stronger position now than it than it was. And we need I think the franchise needs to take advantage of that. And I think the anime can, it, like you say, it can bring in new new people to the franchise. And if they start marketing sort of DVDs, merchandise, it's all it all makes that franchise more viable. So when you're having conversations around a budget for a fourth game, I it makes those conversations easier, doesn't it, really? I I definitely think so. So like one thing though, you said it's in a favorable spot right now. I think that's true and not at the same time because like we said before, you know, it wasn't received that well, to be honest. So before Shemu 3, there was always the chance, you know, nobody knew. Is this going to be a huge success or or will it just be something for the fans? I think the biggest problem Shemu has right now is that Shemu 3 didn't do that well for as far as we know, right? So this is a big thing for many publishers. Okay, they, they now have an example of how Shenmue did in modern times. Yeah, true. So that is a big problem for it. But at the same time, I think, um, you know, if, if the, it, it is more alive than before. And if there's things going on like the anime, you know, um, there, there is still, uh, I think, more more chance because it's, it's more alive than before, you know? Before it... It was just completely that for so many years that really gave it a, a, a tough spot. But I think at least having been out there, 
and Yusan showing that there's these things he wants to improve, you know, gives uh, at least more hope than before Shenmue 3 was announced, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think if the anime is successful bringing people in and they might they bring the merchandise in, they do all you know, a market, all of that around it, I think you can create a, a really strong brand there. It's a lot of work. I'm hopeful. I've got everything crossed. Me too. I, I really uh, you know, and beyond. We we've come this far, uh, and we came out of nowhere, you know, and and it happened. So giving up now is definitely not the right decision. I think if we keep striving for it, um, and Yusan obviously still wants to make it, so I I don't think um, I, we need to be realistic. But there's no reason yeah. to be negative about. It. The current circumstances, I think. No, I would agree with that. And sort of my final point and question before I bring us to a close is: Do you have a message for the Shenmue fans who are, who are wanting Shenmue Four and beyond? I think you've sort of a little bit touched on this, but is there a message for the Shenmue community going forward? Well, from you? Uh, obviously, I'm also just a fan, so <laughs> uh, I can't say uh, anything big. But you know, just just um, you guys are so amazing. I, and I don't belong to that amazing group. That's one thing I want to say because I only started moving after Shenmue 3 was released. So the fact that, you know, for all these years, you were all so vocal about it, did so many things to make it happen. Uh, you know, saved shaved Shenmue, right? That's, that's, yeah. that's why we have Shenmue 3. And I wasn't part of that. So in that regard, you guys are, are so much more amazing than I am because I'm just taking profit. You know, I was just at the right... Uh, place as the, at the right time to be in this position but it's all because you guys made it happen so i'm i'm really really grateful for that and because you know we did it once well i didn't do it so i shouldn't say we maybe but i'm definitely doing all i can to to be part of this movement the next time so as long as it happened once it's gonna happen again so just don't give up hopes keep loving shenmu and I'll, I'll do my best to do the same. Thank you, Ezra. That, that's a really lovely message going forward. And I think for anybody who is new listening to this, hashtag Let's Get Shenmue 4 on the 4th of every month on Twitter. Join in, make ourselves heard, and we will get a Shenmue 4. Um, all that remains for me to say, Ezra, is thank you for taking the time out of your day to join me. I know it's late evening in Japan now. I've had an absolutely brilliant time talking to you. Same here. Thanks for having me.